Welcome to One of Two Hundred, the independent politics and media podcast, coming to you from New Zealand. I am joined by my co-hosts, Philip Nanestad, Kira, and Rusty. Bena. Hey, uh, and and welcome to our audience. Uh, back for another weekend current events podcast. We've got some things uh, to talk about, um, both at home and abroad. What should we start with? Should we start with local election stuff? Um, it's it's looking pretty bleak on turnout once again, and this happens every local elections. And everyone's like, why can't we do something about this? And then they don't do shit. Um, they, they don't even uh, indulge in any of the tech solutionism that kind of rears its horrifying head every time uh, any kind of issue with voting appears and buy into some kind of dystopic surveillance voting app. <laughs> um, not even that. They, they, they don't even, like, put money on the line for that. They're just like, oh, well, too hard. Um, maybe we better. Maybe, like, the candidates will engage people more in three years uh, and we'll get to turn out that way. Um, this current election cycle in Auckland, at the very least... We had three candidates who are spending in the millions um, from the right. Uh, so Viv, Viv Beck, um, Liam Malone. I'm not sure if Wayne Brown is quite past a million, but I know he's spent at least $500,000 of his own money. Um, that's on the record. Uh, and then we've got uh, and Craig Lord, who's also spending, like I assume, a, a significant amount of money, though not, not nearing that amount. So we've got a few million dollars being spent on the right uh, of of politics here uh and then Efeso Collins uh on the, the broadly on the left uh who is not spending any money really uh it, it feels like uh comparatively and our turnout is maybe the lowest it's ever been yeah I think it's it's the lowest second lowest kind of tracking basically in line with what we saw in 2019. So the idea that there's any kind of burst of enthusiasm anywhere, really, I think, you know, it could be early days, things pick up in the in the final week um, as people start returning things. As people start but, getting their voting forms. Well, and this is the other thing, and maybe we touch on that a bit later um, in terms of how the, the local voting system is run. But I think to wind back to the turnout point, it is just why would I bother, I think is where a lot of it comes from, is articulating what the relevance of what local government does to people's lives. And I think so much of what they do that people like or have an interest in is just taken for granted around provision of public services. Um, you know, we're fortunate enough in Aotearoa that we haven't had what they've had in the UK or just like swinging cuts to your local library, to the maintenance of local parks, you know, the um, the bin men aren't all on strike because their paying conditions have been um, just completely demolished over the last 10 years. That like the, the kind of most basic maintaining a functional society stuff that, is, that what local government does um, kind of continues to happen regardless of what happens. And on the other side, people get shitty about their rates bill going up. And so there's not a lot to it. Um, so I think that that's part of it. 
Um, and if you look at kind of some of the research that gets done around why people don't vote, it's um, they don't know about the issues, they don't know about the candidates, they don't have a stake in the, the outcome. It's, it's kind of substantive things. And before you get into couldn't find somewhere to vote, didn't know how to vote, didn't have access to a um, you know post box, um, so yeah, immediately jumping to the the barriers to voting around, you know, postal voting changes, or we should all vote on election day, or we should have the democracy sausage, or online voting. I think fortunately this cycle's come late enough that no one suggested voting on the blockchain as a solution. I think if this has <laughs> happened a year ago, someone would be pitching DIA on that. Um, but before you get to those kind of yeah, technological process solutions, it's a lack of motivation, not necessarily a lack of barriers to, to participation, which is not to say there aren't barriers and that local elections in New Zealand are incredibly poorly run because in like, honestly, what to me is like the absolute peak of the kind of Richardson um roger douglas kind of mindset we privatized running of local elections like local elections are contracted out to a couple of companies who like look yeah they do voting for corporate boards or whatever fine that's a totally normal business to have but to have like this fundamental <laughs> basically the most fundamental kind of um pillar of of democracy to be something that's outsourced um in a way which is maybe not working so great in terms of um enabling people to to participate and giving people the right advice about whether they're eligible and all these things it seems ludicrous like i think there have been calls it might have been the greens it might have been some local candidates i can't quite remember saying why does the electoral commission not just run the switch i think in terms of it would have just Technical. been me, Rusted. It could have just been someone. Some, <laughs> well, if 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 it was you, I think that um, it's totally like in, in terms of meaningful kind of process technical changes. I I think that one um, is definitely worth considering before we get into. You know, we can't run an online census properly. There's just no way we online voting should be what we're thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, there's sort of a few different levels, right? Like, as you say, the the electoral commission running, it seems like a kind of no-brainer. That's the that's a starting point. Like, we shouldn't be privatizing out fundamental aspects of our democracy um, in 2022. That that feels um, arbitrary and kind of like a, a losing battle. And they couldn't possibly go wrong. They've recently admitted that they didn't understand the rules, right? When people were complaining that they weren't getting... Uh, voting papers and there was that residency kind of issue uh they were they said oh sorry we we misunderstood who's eligible to vote and who's not i mean it's very much like this is your one job moment right if, if you can't do that then why are you responsible for running so yeah i mean we're not just um contracting it out but we're contracting it out to people who don't know how to do the job which is <laughs> embarrassing on every count for all concerned right um mm. but as well as who's running it there's also the kind of um on top of the like structural aspect of it, there's like driving home to people what parts of it matter and what parts don't. Because I think there's a um, there's there's sort of there's fault on on multiple sides there. I think like you two did that excellent podcast with some candidates um, around the country, 
and they were talking about how difficult it is to engage people in local democracy. And that's like, there's a, there's a level of um, rationality to that, right? Because we've been told for 20 years that local government doesn't matter, basically, um, very determinedly from both kind of central government and corporate actors. It's kind of in everyone's best interest to downplay the relevance um, and the degree to which uh, local government can be an impediment, which is how it's seen by most people, right? Um, because we've done such a bad job at kind of community building at that at that level. So of course we're going to see decreasing turnout, but individuals in that space can't really do it, right? We need a society that enables that level. If we're going to have local democracy, which I think is you know a different a different conversation. That's a, that's a different podcast. Is the value of uh, local government versus central government in such a small country? You know what what decisions should be in their hands and what decisions shouldn't be, which is like an interesting an interesting question, but. <laughs> Considering we have it, I mean, if you're going to give them any power whatsoever, then it needs to be treated as a real kind of democracy and not this kind of uh, sham that it's turned into. So, you know, there are all these all these issues around, um, you know, house owners, homeowners having multiple votes, um, the difficulty of postal voting with people who are moving all the time. So rent is a sort of double disenfranchised um, relative to homeowners. And so everyone's talking about rates payers of course as you would right and Wayne Brown's campaign is sort of showing the uh the cynicism with which it's allowable to treat um non-homeowners and people under the age of 45 because <laughs> he's consciously only targeting old homeowners and it's working out pretty well for him so that's like the most kind of small target uh conservative campaign you could possibly run it's fundamentally anti-democratic, like his kind of strategy. And it's working great because it's not a very democratic system that we've got. It's not very inclusive. Turnout's always low. You don't need that many people to win an election. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we need to re-impress upon people what local government can do. But unfortunately, there's been like a, a systemic countrywide effort to to depress that realization for the last, you know, 20 years plus. And yeah. I think... I, I kind of used the um, the financial outlay as a proxy for potential engagement, but due to the way that our local communities and, and local government and the way people approach it are, are all set up, a lot of it has just suppressed the vote further. <laughs> like, we're, we're, and, and maybe somewhat intentionally, you know. Um, if people feel like there's no one there, uh, that is that is going to vote for them and then everything like half your um advertising is just anti other candidates at a minimum like and, and you haven't had a chance to like go and see uh their opponents face to face like if if a fessler's door knocking team um hasn't got in front of you or you're not already connected to some of those um communities online or and like uh, in the real world, then you see maybe you see some of uh, Wayne Brown's or Viv Beck's or Leo Malloy's anti-Collins stuff, um, or you see like some of the free media that comes out of the Herald attacking Collins, yeah. uh, and that might be it. Um, yeah, it's I I don't even know how you'd assess like what the promotion versus suppression impacts of these spends were, but I will be very interested to see 
what the dollar per vote value is for these candidates because it's going to be obscene. Oh, we, yeah, I think the the problem we're running up against is sort of what local government was set up to be and sort of, be, well, set up to be in the 80s and sort of was intended to become in the 90s was this is like the services, the set of services that individuals can't procure and the can't buy in the private market. Like, unfortunately, there are just we can't marketize the roads, we can't marketize the parks, we can't marketize rubbish collection. Well, you can, but it's a disaster. Shit, we have to have some kind of basically procurement office to buy these services at a municipal level. But that's what that's what local government for is is for. And so that's kind of the the intent behind it, but that's not what people have turned it into. And that's, you know, there are actually people in local councils who, you know, are motivated around community building. And so we'll be involved in things like continuing to have a decent library system or, you know, kind of public space and um, kind of community arts funding types of things. Like people are, are trying to use this thing that's been, again, built at the kind of height of neoliberal um, kind of success to to be a tool for community building and uh, really disappointed at the outcomes because it's not designed for that. It's not, local government's not really meant to matter, which is why I think, like you say, Philip, it's actually, it makes sense that people aren't engaged. Like I, I don't want to be doom and gloom though. I think we do need a bit of positivity. I think some of the early signs that it was going to be like a genuinely depressing, like, are we even going to have 20% kind of um, levels of, of returns might just be an artifact of like some of the positive changes, like the um, community drop-off booths to to replace the fact that there's no post boxes. And so it it is looking like we're kind of probably in Auckland and Wellington in line for 2019, which is, if that's true, hey, it's at least at least it's not going down anymore. Voting in Christchurch is way up, which is weird because their mayoral race is kind of between two different shades of um, centre right. Um, but from what I can gather, but you know, it's 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 not doom and gloom. Voting is still happening, so if you are yeah. somehow listening to this, <laughs> which I guess might you know all three of you who who aren't motivated enough to to have voted yet you should because you know we had the you know john and louise and, and lachlan on a couple of weeks ago there are other great candidates out there like the fact that someone with collins's you know kind of policy and background is the the second candidate who's got still a reasonably decent chance um of winning in auckland like um wayne brown is like every racist North voter who is going to vote for him, but he's not inspiring people. I don't think like he is not like a Auckland version of John Key. He's the anti. Um, he is the like. He is he's the default. He was what is left over. Um, the things I'd like to say about him, I won't because I do actually believe some of it could be genuinely libelous. Um, but if you know, you look into some of the stuff in his background. Um, yeah, he's not going to be a good man. Um, so yeah, there, there, there is still hope and the, the fact that, you know, we've in Auckland and Wellington, at least you've got some genuinely like 
properly progressive or kind of with a couple of candidates we have down here, radically progressive, like pretty radical candidates, um, one or two of whom might even make it on, um, is a good sign. and People should get enthused about it. Yeah, I think um, all, the, all the whinging aside, uh, hmm. this has been the, in all my time watching local elections, the, the best I've felt about the efforts that our candidates are going to, to try and engage. It just happens they're up against history to a great end and, you know, the system. History, systems, reality. Yeah. yeah. So that's good. And I, and I think those those people who are, who are doing that and the people who are getting engaged, it is, you are starting to see a movement and a civic framework built. Um, and maybe it doesn't deliver this time around. Or maybe a few key people it does deliver for, and then we're looking at 2023 for the um, national elections, or you know another another three years we go into a local election with a clear idea about uh, how how we do this, and without COVID popping up every now and again to stop people from actually getting out and meeting people. Um, yeah, I'm definitely not pessimistic about this. Um, I'm just sad about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, what, what I'll do as well. I mean, the other big issue has been that people haven't been getting their forms. I've just seen so many people, like two of my own brothers, like I have two single uh, points of separation people in my family who haven't received their votes. Yeah. Um, and like anecdotal, yes, but on probability, it's far, far more than just my bros um, who haven't mm. received their papers. Um, uh, the minister of local government didn't receive her papers. <laughs> like yeah. Manaya Mahuta was sort of doing a please explain to, um, I think it's Waikato um, District Council or um, wherever she Elections lives. Elections NZ, um, I think. Elections NZ being like, please explain where are my voting papers. Yeah, and like the, she had to do, go into a special vote. Yeah, which is uh, a mission. Yeah, yeah they yeah. don't make it easy, eh? It, it, no. It, Bit of a, a bit of a joke, and everyone knows someone who hasn't received their um their papers. It's not a good it's not a good sign. They everyone knows them. more than one person, I would say. But, <laughs> Which uh, is this isn't the first time this has happened, right? This happens every right. time, and the fact that it's been allowed to kind of continue and fester and every yeah, this feels worse. This like feels like there are yeah. way it's, more. It's a step change, but the fact that this hasn't been fixed yeah. at a kind of structural level is pretty is pretty depressing, right? Yeah, um, yeah. and I mean, I fully agree with what. Uh, Rusty was saying before about, um, you know, this isn't what community building in an actual kind of, you know, capital D democracy, if you want to frame it that way, like that's not what local government was set up for. But that doesn't mean there aren't kind of chinks in the armor where you can create value there. Like there's radical potential, if you want to kind of say it that way, in the, in the structures of local democracy, there's stuff you can do, right? Um, and you can see people who've kind of created impetus for change and lobbied governments to do like genuinely exciting things at a local level. Um, and there are some pretty cool candidates on the, on the slate this time. So definitely get involved, but yeah, they're just up against it. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty kind of um, if you're trying to operate at that level, it's you're really kind of fighting the tides of history <laughs> at this point. And I'm sure that I'm sure they're feeling it right now. So yeah, I guess a, kind of a moment of solidarity for people who are who are fighting that battle i think is, is worth um hug a hug someone who's running for local government if you see them on the street <laughs> give them a, a yeah. safe elbow bump 
it is thankless as well right like especially because of the way that in particular in some of the the bigger publicity roles there is a level of they're running for themselves you know this is an ego driven decision um that gets papered over the entirety of local government um and it's applied to the the people with their like the best hearts um who, mm. who are actually doing this because they want their community to be better and also to it's politics doing it for ego driven reasons shouldn't you kind of do need a little bit of that because if you don't have it why would you subject yourself to the to this process <laughs> right like i i i don't think that's invalidating to say that um oh they're, they're running because they want power and, and and have a bit of egotism it's like and as long as they're putting that you know to good use and to good outcomes all right, maybe I should have said narcissism in the case yeah, of some of the. That's... Oh yeah, no, no, I, I, I know the kind of comments you mean. Um, you need, yeah, I... you need a little note of um, uh, almost like psychotic level of self belief to run for and you. optimism. Yeah, <laughs> and we love to see it. It's great. We love to see I, it. I guess the, just the final thing that you brought up there in terms of what's running is like, and I'd be interested to know if it's it's been the same in Auckland. The level of rancor and just directionless rage that I've seen at a couple of events down here and that when the um, hashtag resign just into people somehow make it into my timeline online on Twitter that, that that's out and about in Wellington has been way higher than it has been in the past. And I, I think part of that is there's a genuine split down here in terms of like the the kind of direction some of the candidates want to take the city in but some of it i think is this whatever it is we saw around the the protests and voices for freedom it's it's coming from that same place um and i don't know what you do with with that and i don't know what that does to other people's you know a friend of mine was sort of talking to his family about hey why aren't you voting it's like oh I don't know, just all of these, you know, crazy voices for freedom people. Um, I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to, you know. That's the intent, right? Yeah. And that's shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I saw a couple of threads from uh, Torifano and from Lachlan Patterson uh, mm. talking about a particular um, debate that just sounded like it got incredibly nasty. Mm. Um and we haven't had that in Auckland. Um, I think, you know, one of the, is this an upside? I don't know if this is an upside or not, but it's certainly in, in terms of outcomes it is. Auckland's too big for someone, for people to do that. Like, that, like you, you have to be incredibly dedicated um, to being a piece of shit, um, mm-hmm. to run around and ruin every single debate. You know, it's, the logistics of it make it too hard. The, the base, I guess the base level of kind of uh, homeowning NIMBY boomer crankery is already quite high, right? So compared mm. to what is a good kind of starting point, um, I mean, yeah, local government debates in as much as you can call them that, uh, you know, already populated by a high degree of people who are going to be there going, oh, this bloody local government, like what's in it for me? I'm just here to bully these people until they say that rates won't go up and then go home. Like, that seems like the only thing these people are interested in. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not saying there haven't been like moments here, um, mm. just just not to that extent. And I think actually one of the the really interesting things about the Auckland mayoral race is how far 
to the progressive side, Collins running has um, resulted in. You know, Malloy dropped out before it even went to votes, like, well, before the campaign even started it proper. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he did, he just gave up. Uh, he was probably the most right-wing populist um, person on, on the ballot after that point. Uh, I, I disagree with that. I don't, I mean, populist, sure, maybe, but his mm-hmm. his his slate was, like, deliberately kind of tilted on both sides. So he was kind of making gestures at kind of... Um, uh, he he definitely wasn't a Wayne Brown or or a Vivek policy, sure. right? It was deliberately. Mm-hmm. It was a, a Matt McCartan special of like something for everyone. Yeah, um, he was trying. He was trying to compete with Collins. Yeah, um, and then Beck and Brown came in. Beck picked up. Well, this is this is the same thing though, right? Like you talk about the policy slate, but then you see who's behind that slate, and it was like the Taxpayers Union was like backing Malloy. Um, and... I want to get conspiratorial in a second, but go on. <laughs> uh, they moved to Beck, um, who immediately tried to go racist and just like, sorry, like your your campaign's over now. You know, it allowed Brown to come through um, because there's a consensus of sorts that co-governance is kind of a good idea. You know, Brown is like on every debate stage he was on was on the same side as Collins around co-governance. Um, and it was Beck trying to hold out on that one, which, you know, is is not nothing. Mm. I, you know, the meme of like death knocking in the doors. Yeah, yeah. I think that's basically what the kind of right-wing hive mind did to the Malloy and Beck campaigns. And I'm not saying they did it because they wanted Wayne Brown specifically to win, but because Auckland's an FPP system, you can't have the votes split three ways between three right-wing candidates or centre-right, far-right candidates. Um, and so I think, however, the I want to know who was in a meeting with Viv Beck yeah. two days a day before she pulled out. Like, what what are the deals that, that were made? What were the motivations behind that to clear a lane so that for whatever fucking reason, Wayne Brown's the one who's left standing. Um, he's our guy. We need a united front here. Um, so I, I'm i not saying... Pun intended. That, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not saying that it was an explicit sabotage operation in terms of the people that Vivek hired to do her campaigning. I'm sure they they tried their level best and acquitted their, their, their obligations to their client to the fullest. But I I do think the the kind of yeah networks out there yeah. realize the the problems that you have when the the vote on the centre right is split um, and so all fell in line which is kind of inevitable. So it's barely even a conspiracy. Yeah, Vivek yeah. said that's why she was pulling out. Right, that's she was. Yeah, mm. she made it pretty like clear. consolidating the centre right vote. Um, mm. And yeah, all the uh, all the righties are kind of yeah you know. Um, Set oh, the pressure in on in Minecraft, knocking on it's death, knocking on the door um, of mm. those candidates through time. And I mean, there is also kind of in Auckland, there's been this uh, build up on the centre right of frustration through the Len Brown and Phil Goff years where they just felt powerless uh, politically. Mm. And- Which is ridiculous anyway, because, you know, their centre right councillors more often than not vote in line 
like to get to get policies passed you know and yeah again it comes so down to this yeah. they're not like, so different right but there's i think there's a sort of performative aspect to the local government politics that they they want someone at the top that's on their quote-unquote team yeah um, mm-hmm. Bill Goff has been by a lot of measurements kind of more right than left on a lot of his actual policy decisions almost right? all yeah mm-hmm. so yeah there's a it's it's basically performance art that level of like mayor who's on my side that they want that was always going to be tough in Auckland this is my actual conspiracy well is it conspiracy theory that was just my like shot in the dark um I think we we know there's a kind of like right wing center uh center right um business blob right that that's something that exists in New Zealand as a a powerful decision maker about what gets uh front footage um and who runs um and who's successful I don't. I don't think that's a controversial thing to claim, um, and we know that they were kind of behind Beck's campaign, um, but they'd, they'd have had feelers out to to Brown and stuff like that as well, um, and it did get to the point where Brown was ahead, and it was like, okay, Beck, you're gone. I don't think she was happy about that, uh, and frankly, who would be? Um, hmm. Why why wasn't Beck given a clear run to start with? Uh, you know, there were. Some of the people involved were bringing Brown on board, like about choosing to do that against the wishes of the right wing blob. Um, mm. And so I reckon that Beck intentionally called late so her name was still on the ballot as a fuck you. Mm. God, I hope that I... I. I am pretty sure about it. Like, if the difference, if Collins wins and the difference between him and Brown is less than what Beck gets. Oh, I'm going to love it so or, much. Or, or uh, Craig Lord or uh, John Polino or whoever else. Yeah. yeah. It's Audio be... medium. You, can, you can't see doing the chef's kiss, but yeah. yeah very good shit. Um, yeah. So like, what? A couple of weeks more voting to go. No, uh, one, one, one week. Isn't it? Oh, week. Results on the 8th or everything has to get in Results by the Results on the 8th. Get your vote right. in by the 4th. Oh, um, fuck. Wait. It's October. Jesus it's October. Christ. Spooky season. Get the pumpkins out. Um, yeah. Uh, post your vote by the 4th or drop it off in in one of the boxes by the 8th. Um, yeah. Get a special vote. Or... Uh, Organise as quickly as you can if that's something you have to do. Uh, your, your papers are not going to turn up in time anymore. I. Uh, Go to one of the um, wherevers, uh, mm. your, your local council um, drop point, and do a special vote. Um, the yeah. margins in these things are tiny, even uh, if it's even if again there's only a very small amount of people yeah. who, who are listening to this that aren't or haven't voted. Was um, it sixty-eight votes? Sixty-eight votes. We got Mayor Andy Foster for sixty-eight votes. <laughs> And I think one of the local councils here was like 27 to fill yeah. the third seat. Like it, it makes a real difference. Like every vote not, really does count. It's it's not like the kind of symbolic thing of national nationwide voting of like, well, no, it's, you know, matters in this tiny and kind of hard to explain way. It very genuinely makes a difference. Let's move on to the next thing that makes a genuine difference. Uh, and that's something we're seeing unfold in the UK uh, as as we speak, every day things happen. It is moving at a pace that, you know, I I recorded and released a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago about the UK under uh, a trust um, prime ministership, 
and we thought it was going to be pretty bad. We thought like it was masked off neoliberalism. Um, yeah, things are going to get pretty shit by next year. Um, one of my, I think one of my claims at the time was like, I don't think we know just how hard and fast this is going to be. It'll be a matter of how much do they break before they're removed. Uh, and what has been happening has even eclipsed my most, I don't know if it's like, a, I don't think it's correct to say my most optimistic um, views because it is actually a disaster at the num- this point. Yeah, the number of black pills you were taking was insufficient to, uh, <laughs> to, to the moment, the historical moment that we're in. I like, so what What has happened uh, for those who are, who are not following every single um, set of policies in international politics um, or even, you know, was in the Commonwealth. And good choice, by the way. Yeah, so, good idea. Mm. Yeah, don't do it. Keep, keep living the way you're living. Yeah, yeah. just listen to this. Keep living the way you're living. Turn, turn, mute, mute us for the next 10 yeah, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that, yeah, Liz Truss came in as the Prime Minister, installed a cabinet who were, uh, by and large, incredibly economically right-wing, um, to an extent we've maybe never seen in a Western government um, since... Maybe even more so than the eighties. I I don't know if that's a fair call or not yet. Um, no, I think given the state of play, in terms yes. of, in terms of intent, I think that's if you read anything about the backgrounds or the proposal platform that these folks ran on, I think it's fair to say they are the most right wing government we've had in a Commonwealth country. Yeah, which is incredible, and and then decided to ignore reality and just do their stuff yeah and i think that's the that's the thing i think you were right about how fast and how far they want to go i think what you missed was how fucking incompetent like the just bare basic understanding of how government and economics works i thought at least some before people around them right before they released this mini budget, no, sorry, fiscal event, um, they barely even consulted with like their equivalent of tre- treasuries costing units. Like it, it was, it wasn't just like unpaid for; it was uncosted. <laughs> and you know, yes, the kind of city of London financial markets want particular things in terms of tax breaks and in terms of regulation. They didn't want this. They don't want it. Like it is not in their interest. It's not in the interests of you know capital C capital to have governments run like this in kind of um, core global North countries. I think that the you know main take I've seen on this is that Britain is, and this has both been on like the financial market kind of coverage side of things, and on like you know lefty Twitter is. Britain is behaving like an emerging market. Britain is behaving like a third world country in terms of the quality of governance and institutions. And man, <laughs> I, yeah, it's um, it's kind of incomprehensibly bad. They're like, trying even... to, yeah, they're trying to do all the things that they tell, yeah, as you say, emerging markets or small states to do to attract capital. Like, no, you're the no, UK? The IMF, the I fucking IMF, and I know they've become like one degree more 
more kind of, oh shit, don't burn down all of your local domestic governance institutions because um, they've seen what happened in the 90s and what that did to Eastern Europe. But anyway, the IMF have come out and said, slow the fuck down. We do not want to have to bail you guys out. You need to think about the consequences of your actions. Um, you can't actually just, um, you know, shed that much government revenue in an inflationary environment um, with the debt burden that you have. Um, yeah, it's it's just untethered from reality. And e even if you're on the centre-right, even if you're on the, the kind of reasonably... Um, extreme right in an economic sense. You, well, you don't do it this way unless you're trying to provoke a crisis. And that's the kind of, are they stupid? Are they cunning? Are they both? I don't and think... I don't I, think they're trying to. I don't... Because <laughs> the argument is, look, you need this shock to the system because... Well, this is the whole thing. This is a shock doctrine, right? It, 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 they're they're Latin Americaning themselves. Yeah, but they don't have an external kind of... There's not an exogenous shock. Well, there's been hundreds of exogenous shocks to everyone's systems over the last um, few years, and there will continue to be. But it's kind of they're trying to self-generate a crisis of confidence in financial markets and in the pound and in government debt and to then justify the program that they have, which is very explicitly they think... Employment, education, um, rules, regulations in Great Britain need to look more like Mexico and India in terms of um, labor markets, because then people will be motivated and there will be innovation. And it's. And I think probably one of yeah. the most horrifying things is that all this happened. You know, they um, they, did, they had this fiscal event. Um, they cut taxes, they removed a bunch of other stuff, everything crashed. Uh, the US was like, what are you doing? You know, the IMF was like, what are you doing? Everyone is like, please stop. You know, the, <laughs> the city in, in London is saying, please stop, like the bankers. Um, and they haven't stopped. Well, yeah, bond markets are real things, right? As um, mm. as Rusty was saying, like Bernard Hickey's done some good writing on this. If you want to, if anyone wants to dive into it a bit more, um, I recommend some of his um, the Kaka like daily stuff that he's been writing has gone into some good kind of history on um, UK bond markets and the way that they use that to kind of deal with pension funds um, over time and the kind of trajectory of that is quite interesting. But from a like a macro sense. Yeah, as uh, as Rusty's saying, they are self self generating uh, a crisis, and it's you know Q Q uh, bad Zizek uh, accent. It's it's pure ideology, right? Um, at this point, it's like they've they've bought into their own uh, bullshit. It's the mm. the the Trumpy post Trumpian kind of moment of you know this is what you get for watching uh 50 years of fox news like that it's it's kind of lowest common denominator like this is this is what you get like this is the the outcome of um consuming the the brain worms of neoliberalism to this extent like even despite the context even despite uh historical moment where this is the worst possible thing you could do it doesn't matter like there's there's one solution and this is the to mix metaphors this is the the one hammer that they have right um and everything's a nail and it's just time to slash and burn and you know 
wither away the state to an even an even ever greater extent right and they started that this week they started cutting cutting services one weird trick that they have doctors Doctors, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, well, doctors yeah. do hate them, and are probably going to start going on strike. <laughs> I, I don't know what next week looks like for the UK, like, or for global, the global economy. <laughs> you know, it, it it really is something else. And other than um, kind of the international ripples um, of this, mm. the other thread that connects us to New Zealand is um <laughs> Christopher Luxon when Truss uh was elected as leader of the Conservative Party and became um became the Prime Minister of the UK he put a little out a little vote of support to say our two parties have many shared values which which they do it's, it's, um it's, it's, you know, there are New Zealand initiative, former New Zealand initiative um, economists and his like inner circle that advisors. They have the same uh, politics and policy settings around some of this economic stuff. I would, I'd probably say they wouldn't move quite this fast um, and they wouldn't be able to in the New Zealand setting. But those values definitely are the same. Yeah, and I think the the values are the same. The context are different and i think this is in some ways why a new zealand version of this would be scarier but also potentially less scary is you know upside of the kind of um prudent fiscal management that grant robertson and finance ministers before him is that our borrowing situation relative to kind of international markets and our, our dependence at least at a government level on um again capital C international capital is much less which on the one hand means that the kind of ability for markets to discipline and punish us in the way that they might be about to um discipline and punish the United Kingdom like it's uh, South America in the 80s um is reduced but it also means that there's a lot more of the the kind of direction and policies that you could go in before shit will start to break not in like a you know 30 years down the line this is going to be a you know crisis of underinvestment and water infrastructure shit's going to break in terms of like piles of burning garbage in the streets because you had to fire all the bin men because there's literally no money like you know we are lucky and then some of our well no we're not lucky we've made actually some good decisions over the last 40 years that to preserve kind of the institutions that we do have here and they are more robust, but that means you can do a lot, you know, you, you can thrash about and do a lot more damage and there's kind of more slack in the system that we'll have. Um, and so. Well, that slack's just red tape, Rusty. Exactly. Exactly. Um, redundancy is overhead if you don't know what it's for um, or can't see what it's for. And so. Yeah, that's that is what would worry me is not that you know finance minister nicola willis is going to propose a four percent tax cut and that's going to blow the entire economy up overnight but that with the kind of same value set and same overall direction they'll be able to kind of lay the baseline for that without it reaching the kind of immediate crisis point that um trust and quoting have reached within like days <laughs> within a day yeah well i mean 
I think it's worth I think it's worth kind of stopping to look back at some of the discussions we've had. Like, yeah, I totally agree with Rusty. Um, but it's, I think it's worth stopping and looking back at some of the, the discussions we were having about the kind of scary but but interesting kind of direction of uh, centre-right, quote-unquote, industrial policy in the UK, right? Um, and the kind of early Boris Johnson years, we were talking about an expanded role for the state under a centre-right government and kind of a, a backtracking on some of those supply-side neoliberal kind of fundamentals um, that we always knew wasn't um, entirely popular in the in the ranks of the Conservative Party. There was always kind of a split there, right? Um, and then in New Zealand, I argued at least, I don't know how many people agreed with me at the time, um, that uh, Simon Bridges' leadership of the National Party could have taken that that route early on. Some of the noises he was making was... Oh, I think, yeah. Right? And more that, or more so if he'd stuck around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's why I was always a kind of... Um, uh, maybe a, a lone voice in the wilderness that thought that a Simon Bridges leadership of the National Party could have been quite interesting. There was a kind of a cleavage there internally, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And the the people who took advantage of the opportunity to get rid of him, the kind of Mullerites, were the more like unreconstructed neoliberal wing of that party. It seemed like, and that's the moment that we've seen in the in the UK that taking advantage of the opportunity to get rid of Boris Johnson, or mm-hmm. on the surface, the kind of guardian reading um intelligentsia reasons but underneath that in terms of an actual power analysis the people who have taken advantage have been the um you know the the matthew hootons of the uk like people who the, the kind of true the true leaders i i guess yeah, yeah the way i'd put it is like there's two kinds of conservative leaders in the UK and to a lesser extent here, ones who wish that they were uh, Winston Churchill or ones who wish that they were Margaret Thatcher. And I think that you couldn't have a more explicit example of that between Truss and Johnson, that like Johnson very much is a, a you know, crappy South Park parody of, of Winston Churchill. And coming from that kind of strain of high one nation Toryism, you do need to engage in a state building project to be able to do the kinds of things that, that, he wanted to do and to be able to stand on the world stage and in the way that he wanted to whereas and I thought that, in india don't just happen rusty like you no, need no, apparatus. you need to <laughs> exactly one nation constructions right nation yeah building. yeah it's one nation that nation is britain don't get confused about it <laughs> um but i think this was and it was really great the the cast you did two weeks ago um with our our various uk um expat correspondents um Truss is steeped in this shit from basically from birth, right? That that she is a well, not from birth, because her father was not from birth, <laughs> but from from you know her her. She got radicalized her, at university. Adult. Yeah, those those radical post-Marxist professors. Um, this is why we need to defund the universities, right? This is why her, her they're turning out they're turning out too many um, neoliberal debate nerds, <laughs> but. <laughs> She's a true believer in this stuff, but she's not a sophisticated true believer. There's not the kind of theory of power of like, okay, well, what you actually have to do if you want to do this over time is these particular set of things. It's just this kind of vulgar come out the day after everyone's over mourning the queen and announce a, you know, slash stamp duty, slash the top tax rate, slash the corporate tax rate without having built any mandate for that, without in the middle of a cost of living crisis um 
that that has got so bad that even these supply side um you know true believing fundamentalists have had to introduce demand side subsidies to that that are financially ruinous for, for, for the UK's finances and are the kind of thing that an economist at a centre-right think tank like has a screaming nightmare about. Like it's it's basically from a a right-wing economic point of view, the worst thing you can do is subsidize people's energy consumption because you'll never be able to get rid of it. Anyway, even they had to do it. That's how bad shit is there. And to not realize the moment you're in and just be like, oh yeah, our main thing is we're going to cut the top tax rate. It's... Yeah, it, I mean, it shows, it, I, I love your conception of the uh, Churchill versus Thatcher dichotomy on the on the right. And like, it, it does transpond to New Zealand to some extent, right? But obviously, you know, degrees, like a matter of degrees rather than... We don't um, have that kind of talent for one thing. No, 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 no on either <laughs> side. Um, the version here is probably um, Holyoke versus Douglas. Yeah, right. But, yeah, yeah, so few people are going to know who you're talking about, Rusty. <laughs> We're alienating <laughs> even ninety percent of our nerdy listeners. <laughs> um, which I'm here for it. It's good. We should keep keep going. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, right. That's the like we're. We're in a moment in history, I think, is is kind of key where, as Rusty was saying, this is the worst thing you could possibly do. And yet they're still doing it, right? So, like, the the fact that this is the extent that they're, they're willing to go to, like, it's a, a kind of radicalism that won't be, um, won't be described that way by the kind of establishment media because it doesn't benefit them to refer to one of the um, biggest parties in, in the UK as a, as a radical actor. But it is like objectively, this is the most radical thing you could possibly do. It's a hard right turn, but because it's an economic turn, it won't be referred to that way, right? Uh, if this was if this was transponded if this was transposed into a social uh, act, right? This would be the equivalent of like an extremely kind of socially conservative turn by a government. Then it would be like loudly denounced by every kind of you know sensible adult in the room um well i think it i think it has been um if we're like if we look at the kind of electoral response it's been one of the most it's incredible you know polling was out yesterday with labor up over 50 percent it's because of keith it's because of keith starmer's sterling work in the last um the last year of campaigning Keith Starling. Cynically, I actually agree with you that it is partly because of Starmer's work to make himself and the Labour Party acceptable (laughs) to the, um, you know, right-wing press over there. That They can just sit there. They can just sit there while the Tories fucking burn everything. Yeah. And sure, he'll come in with a historic majority and his first action is going to have to be seeking an IMF bailout. Um, and reapplying to join the European Union or something. I don't I don't know what you do. I because the kind of institutions of of I don't know. Yeah, if if it continues like like this, um, which it may well not, like some of the genuine grown-ups in the room, and I don't necessarily mean anyone in the the, the Tory party, but like people within oh, the King finance sector. Oh, King Charles. Yeah. <laughs> um you know, there are already murmurings that letters are being handed in to, to, to over to overturn trust and honestly probably bring Johnson back. I don't know what else they would do. 
Well, um, that's Johnson's plan, and it has been since oh, he was clearly, yeah, clearly, yeah, yeah. and he couldn't have he couldn't have planned this better if he tried. Um, but yeah, I th I think some of the powers that be may may be sitting people down and having a conversation yeah. of like, look, we love the enthusiasm, we love where you're going, but we need you to just chill out a little bit. Um, <laughs> or maybe the kind of the the way the the Conservative Party's set up. Um, Truss has the backing of the membership because I think, as you accurately said a couple of weeks ago, they're fucking racist and they would not vote for Rishi Sunu. Um, and maybe it just kind of continues because there's no check in the system. There's very little possibility of forcing an early election unless King Charles gets activist and dissolves parliament against the will of. Do, the do Prime we Minister. think there is a chance for an early election if they go to a, what, a third? like leadership change like uh, with the polls being what they are like it's like there is a close to a constitutional crisis in, in a lot of ways here but this it, is definitely not what anyone's like elected it's been a rolling constitutional crisis for the last eight years there right um, <laughs> i i don't know i don't know enough about the fixed term parliament act um to tell you whether that's that's possible but i think given where the polling is at I think a lot of Tory backbenchers and a lot of people involved, it's like, no, we've got two years to fucking yeah. do what we want to do. Um, and then, yeah, we're going to have to take our, take our lumps for five to ten years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Unless Johnson comes back and saves the whole thing and... Um... Yeah, it's, it's possible, right? That's, that's what... Johnson's good at winning elections, right? That's the one thing he's mm. good at. Um, and the Tory backbenchers is where to be paying attention right now because it's basically a choice between their, their jobs and their programme. Like if this is how they're going to go, it's not even their program. Well, it's for some and, of them it will be. That's the yeah. Same. Well, their cabinet's program. So yeah. if you're if you're a true believer and you genuinely think that you need to slash and burn what's already a slash and burnt state uh, down to the bone, <laughs> past the bone, through the bone, bone saw your way <laughs> left, then maybe that some of them, like the trust supporters, the the hardcore kind of Thatcherite, um, insane freaks of that party will be going, okay, well, if this is what it takes, you know, you're wrong. Um, the maybe, no, it's the children who are wrong moment, right? <laughs> the, the Skinner, the Skinner-esque uh, moment for them. But I think for probably more of them, they'd prefer to be an MP and, uh, you know, do their performative UK debate society bullshit for another, another term of Johnson led kind of nightmare uh, while he, you know, continues to have affairs or whatever he loves to do in the, in the press. <laughs> Like, because they're not going to win. Like they're, they're going to get a lot of those backbenchers in even Tory seats are going to start realizing that they might lose their job. So yeah, there's there's going to something's going to happen, right? Something has to break before the next election. Yeah, yeah. Just lastly, I guess on this one, do we think there's going to have a significant impact on what the centre right here chooses to try and push through? Now I've seen people both on the the kind of centre right and also some of the kind of labor twitter left being like trying to draw examples to this and be like like people are dimly aware of it and i think it's a bit of spectacle but i i don't think anyone really cares yes there are the kind of information exchange networks and um kind of you know common campaigning um consultants although that does seem to have broken down a bit in the last few years between here and the uk um i i think we've got our own domestic program and domestic issues that they they could they could run on i, I yeah um i think it's more spectacle or the 
the, the greater relevance could be is this kind of the kicking off event for the latest round of another financial crisis. Yeah. You know, that, that, the kind of material realities of this, not just the, the, the politics and the, um, the, the kind of ideological, um, psychodrama, um, that could be the more important consequence of that, of, of the stuff in New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, debate and uh, electoral nerds are going to, electoral nerd, right? But no one in New Zealand bases their vote on what the Tory party in the UK does or the Conservative Party, the, you know, liberal conservatives in Australia was a similar thing, right? Every time uh, Scott Morrison or any of their series of interchangeable uh, leaders leader talking heads in Australia did something psychotic, the Labour kind of consultancy, the Joneses and the and the Clints would say, this is what you get for right having a right-wing party and no one cares in New Zealand, right? No one cares about that. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to have any kind of electoral impact beyond the material uh, ramifications of their, of their actions, which, you know, will be disastrous. So <laughs> it, it's important. It's important to pay attention to, but not from a kind of uh, performative electoral standpoint for sure. Great. You heard it here, folks. Those Production's locked in. We'll see what happens over the next six to 12 months. That's been another episode. That's, um, yeah, thanks for joining me, folks. So. Have a good have a good week, everyone. Um, enjoy watching the, the fires in, in Rome slash the city of London from afar. Uh, have a fiddle and touch mm. grass. Have a nice, have a nice week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Vote in your local election. Stop paying attention to international politics. It'll just rot your brain out. Don't no, think. Surely not. Surely don't not. Think don't think global. Don't think global. <laughs> don't think global. Act yeah, global. yeah. Um, New Zealand first, right? Uh, and if you've enjoyed the episode, share it around. Uh, let people know we're out here. Independent media is tough to build an audience for, um, and that's why we value you so much. Um, yeah, go and give us a five-star review on wherever. Um, that'd be fantastic. Uh, it puts us up in the charts and all the other podcasts are gaming the charts. Uh, so we need all the help we can get. I'll put a Patreon link in the summary as well if you want to throw us a few dollars. Um, help us do our editing uh, and keep the website up more than anything else. That's been another week. We'll catch you next Sunday, I guess. That's us. See you later. Relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is a lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is a lie aspirational Will you die keeping your 